I don't know about you, but it's been a challenging past couple of months. You know, one of the things I love about Scripture is when we find ourselves facing trials, we can draw on the Scriptures to encourage us through times of need. Because what we find throughout the story of the Bible is that when times of trials increase, that's when times of God increase. You know, even right here at the Dream Center, we are seeing an increased need for food in this community. In fact, we are seeing 400% increase over the past couple months. Now, you may be asking yourself, how are you doing that with an eight-foot truck that's been stolen twice and returned with only 300,000 miles on it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because of your generosity, you donated a 26-foot box truck to help us meet a need in the community. And it doesn't stop here at the Dream Center. Our Conway campus, as of tomorrow, will be giving out over 84,000, that's right, 84,000 pounds of food. Our Somerville campus is killing it. They're doing every other Saturday, just meeting the need of thousands in that community. And of course, our West Ashley campus, every Thursday is giving out food. Earlier this year, it may have seemed like the world has slowed down, but the one thing that hasn't slowed down is the need for quality medical care. I'm standing right now in the newly renovated Dream Center Medical Clinic, a clinic provided throughout your generosity. It's gonna help our volunteer doctors and nurses serve over 6,000 patient visits every year. We're gonna provide primary care, specialty care, dental and vision care, and to help and make a huge difference in this community. So one of the things that we decided to do was come alongside of our single parents in the church. Most recently, we got a call from Chick-fil-A and Little Caesars who both committed to give us over 500 meals that we were able to give to the single parents during this season. In fact, we've been able to give away over 1,000 meals during this pandemic. And the mission continues to grow. Because of your generosity, we've been able to give away school supplies, hand sanitizer, and masks to help meet a need in this very difficult time for single parents in our community. You know this place that I stand at right now is near and dear to my heart. I'm standing in the Dream Center kitchen, but it's not just because I love food, but this is the portion of the church that is so active. Over the past decade, we've been able to serve thousands of meals to our students, our custom students here at the Dream Center. We've served countless meals, Thanksgiving meals, right out of this kitchen, most notably our Friday night street ministry. You know, some of us don't have a kitchen that we can cook a hot meal. And I love this ministry because they will cook hundreds of meals right here in the Dream Center kitchen. And they'll take them out to the community, to the homeless community and those that are in need. And because of your generosity, we are able to serve thousands and thousands of people in need in this community. You know, sometimes we wanna be the one that hands the meal to the person that's in need. But it's just as important for us to have the provisions to be able to provide the meals to those that are in need. That's right, let's give it up for the North Charleston campus and the Dream Center. We are so proud of you. That is awesome. I spoke with Pastor Jess, Jeff leading up, Pastor Jess, he is not a woman. <laughs> Pastor Jeff leading up to this service. He said just this year, they've given away 570,000 meals at the Dream Center. Isn't that amazing? 
Just incredible. In a year that's taken so much, what a gift it is for us to be a part of a church that is so wildly generous. In fact, just yesterday, usually one of my favorite things we do as a church, especially here in the low country, is our Thanksgiving giveaway. We fry turkeys, people cook sides, put it all together and deliver meals throughout the community. And between our Somerville, North Charleston, and West Ashley campus, we gave away 1,250 Thanksgiving kits that will feed 5,000 people this Thanksgiving in need. So just so thankful for your generosity, for your faithfulness and giving. If you've partnered with us in any way financially, there should be some pride that rises up in you because of that, because you've been a part of meeting the, the needs of those in our community. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be showing some of these videos for you to know the impact that your giving has made, and it's leading up to a legacy offering on December 5th and 6th. It's going to fund so many of our local and global initiatives heading into 20 and 21. So 2021, so I want to invite you, just be praying about that, how God might be calling you to get involved. I also want to give a special shout out this week to our James Island and Johns Island campus. They merged to become one last weekend. Pastor Josh Surratt was there to celebrate that. They're gonna be meeting at our Johns Island location. So if you live in the area and you're online, I wanna invite you to check that out. Why don't you join me? Let's celebrate them. Let them know that we love them. We're excited for that transition. We're praying for all of you. That is good stuff. Well, hey, you are in for a treat this weekend. I know some of you attended the nine o'clock service and you said, that was so good, I'm gonna stay for one more. And so excited that you're here. Our guest speaker today is actually no guest to this stage. He's been here at Seacoast before. His name is Pastor Derwin Gray. He is the pastor of Transformation Church in Indian Land, right outside of Charlotte. So much that you could say about him. He had a successful NFL career. We actually haven't talked about this yet, Pastor Derwin, but my first exposure to you was as the evangelism linebacker. You're going to want to Google that when you leave today. I promise it'll bless you. I was a student pastor trying to figure out how to reach kids, and this passionate NFL player turned pastor was knocking kids out who weren't sharing their faith. It's just amazing. That's right. You can celebrate that. He's an author. He and his wife, Vicki, planted Transformation Church just over 10 years ago. Seacoast, why don't you stand to your feet? Let him know how excited we are to have him with us in the house this weekend. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Sit down. If you guys talked to my wife, you would not be standing up at all. So uh, on behalf of my wife, Vicki, Vicki, could you stand up? On behalf of my wife, Vicki, uh, the co-founder of Transformation Church. Also, uh, you guys heard Pastor KJ is our creative arts pastor, but Pastor Tom Baez is here from Transformation Church. Krista, can you stand up as well? Krista is on our executive leadership team at Transformation Church. Actually hired her when she was 23. She was a barista at uh, Starbucks. And uh, yeah, so cool. Um, it, gosh, I love y'all's church. Now you, um, to look at what your North Campus is, is doing in, in feeding people and and making an impact, not only does that display the love of Jesus, but for those of us who are older, like 35 and older. <laughs> Generation Z, they don't want to just sing songs to the Lord. They want their lives to be a song that sings to the Lord, to meet needs. They want to touch needs. They, they want to be involved. They want their unbelieving friends to know that Jesus cares about the unlovable, those who are hurting and, and, and so the more that you can do that, the more that our church can do, do that. Since March, we have fed over 400,000 
meals to people in need. And we're seeing young people come alive. We're seeing people in our community say, well, we just thought you guys sing songs in nice buildings. Because what the unbelieving world wants to be a part of is knowing that, wow, you people care for real, tangible needs. Love y'all's church. Love Pastor Josh. Uh, and Pastor Greg, man, he is so awesome. He, 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 he is. He took me fishing. He took me fishing. Matter of fact, I think we got a little clip here. Man, I was slaying them bass. I was pulling something up out that water. I wanted to impress him. It was great. We, we had a wonderful time. And you know, fishing is very biblical because when Jesus rose from the dead, he was on the Sea of Galilee grilling some tilapia that he had caught for his disciples who thought he was dead. So there's going to be fishing in the new heavens and in the new earth. Uh, but I, I'm just so thankful for your church. I'm thankful for you. I think we can all agree upon this. 2020 has been a complete dumpster fire. But not just a dumpster fire, a floating dumpster fire in a flood. We started the year off when Kobe Bryant uh, passed away and his daughter and six other precious souls in a helicopter crash. And even though we didn't know Kobe personally, it's like you watched him all these years and with celebrities, there's like this connection. And then also you think if something like that could happen to him, then we're all vulnerable. And then all of a sudden, there's this virus, this pandemic, there's complete chaos, there's uncertainty. And it's like, what in the world has happened? But what if I told you this? And teenagers and preteens, young adults, what, what if I told you that happiness is your birthright as a citizen of Jesus' kingdom? What if I told you that your happiness is not contingent upon COVID-19, it's not contingent upon any other circumstance, but that your happiness can actually be rooted in, contingent upon Jesus himself. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was standing over the Sea of Galilee, getting ready to preach was called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever preach, uh, the Jewish people were sitting at his feet. The Hamashiach, the Messiah, was, was there. And he opens up the Sermon on the Mount with what's classically known as the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. And the Beatitudes describe eight characteristics of a blessed or happy person. Now, the Greek word blessed, and you can go home you know, later today and be like, yeah, I learned some Greek, right? And, and so the Greek word for blessed, blessed is the word makros, and it literally means happy. So happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. And so Jesus describes eight characteristics of a blessed or happy person who's a citizen of God's kingdom. Now, here's where Jesus goes fishing to catch us with a lure. So whenever you go fishing, you use a lure to entice a fish. It looks good. You bite it and you're hooked. All of you right now are going, yeah, I want to be happy. But Jesus sets the hook and he says, but the happiness I want to give you is not the happiness you think. It's better. Because when you and I think happiness, we think 
Good things always happening to us and the happiness that Jesus wants to give us. You ready for this? The happiness that Jesus wants to give us is we become good for the world. That's the part where you clap. <laughs> because when you read the Beatitudes, it's about what it really actually means to be human. Nothing or no one can steal a happiness that God gives to you that makes you good for the world. Uh, for some of you old school Pentecostals and charismatics, the happiness Jesus wants to give you is called holiness. Holiness means you become a whole human being and function as you were created to live. So therefore, happiness is no longer determined by your bank account. It's no longer determined by anything that happens to you. It's about what God is happening inside of you and he's making you good, not just for your family, not just for your mom and them, not just for your cousin and them, but for the world. What would happen if we as Christians woke up, and I know not everybody here is a follower of Jesus yet, or those of you watching online are yet, but I want you to listen to this. This is so important. What if we woke up every morning saying, God, make me good for the world? That's kind of like Jesus. So, but, but, but where am I getting this from? Because I can just be making this up. From the Bible, it's a great book. So, so watch, watch this. Merciful people are happy people. And people who lack mercy lack happiness. Have you ever thought to yourself, I just want to be around this person. They are so unmerciful. It's great. They're so happy. Like, have you met that person? <laughs> you know, like, like there's something around, uh, about being around a person who is merciful and kind. And by the way, do not mistake mercy and kindness for weakness. Being belligerent and being a bully and being mean is easy. That's easy. Anybody can do that. You hurt me and I hurt you back. True love is Matthew 5, 44. Bless those who persecute you. That's strength. That's strength. By the way, that's what Christians do. That's normative. By the way, okay, I'm going to pick just a little bit. If Jesus looked at your Facebook post, would it look merciful and kind? Oh, and by the way, he is looking at it. Matthew 5, 7 this, says this, blessed or happy are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So being a merciful person means, number one, loving God by loving people you're not supposed to love. Loving God by loving people you're not supposed to love. And if all of us are honest, we know that there are some people that we have barriers with and stereotypes with, and we're not supposed to love them for whatever reason. Let's just be honest. We all have them, and God works with honesty and humility to say, God, help me, right? And, and as a matter of fact, Thanksgiving is coming up. And there are going to be people who are coming to eat with you that are hard to love. And if you didn't laugh, you are that person. 
You're like, I don't, I don't even know what they're talking about. I have no idea. <laughs> You're the person. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, teenagers and preteens, young adults, Jesus is in a conversation. He's in conversation with a expert in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, expert in the law. And let's look at how the narrative goes. This is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and 28. Now Luke, now check this out, this is deep. You may want to write this down. Luke was written by a man by the name of Luke. <laughs> What's unique about Luke is that he was a Gentile, a Gonim. He was a non-Jewish person, so he saw life from a different perspective. He was also a doctor, so he was meticulous and very detailed. So let's look what he says about this encounter that Jesus has as he unfolds what it looks like to love people you're not supposed to love. It says this, then an expert in the law stood up to test him. The way that word test is written in the Greek language, it means evil. It means to catch Jesus in a trap. By the way, trying to catch Jesus in a trap is like trying to drink the Atlantic Ocean through a straw in a day. It's not going to happen. Saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So what's happening here is a religious scholar, and in Jesus' day, they took what's called the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eleheinu, Adonai Echad. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And to love your neighbors, you love yourself, is Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 19. And they smashed them together. And if you notice, look what it makes. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It makes a cross. At Transformation Church, we call that upward inward and outward. Verse 28, you have answered correctly, he told him, do this and you will live. Now watch this. Watch how the religious scholar tries to justify himself. Being a merciful person means that every human being is your neighbor. Every human being is your neighbor. Look at verse 28. Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So in other words, Jesus, who was supposed to be put in a trap, actually put the Jewish scholar in a trap and was like, well, yeah, well, so who's my neighbor? Now, you can kind of see what's happening here is the Jewish scholar's like, well, there's some people I don't want to love. And if you and I are honest, we can say the same exact thing. But watch how Jesus walks with him. But before we look at that, let's give a little mercy to the Jewish scholar. You're like, well, why, pastor? Well, think about this. Let's go back in history 2,000 years ago, and it's important to read the Bible in its context so we can understand it for today. So 2,000 years ago, if you were a Jewish man, and particularly a Jewish scholar, you would know the depths of Israel's history. So let's think of the Jewish people. Gentiles, these Egyptians, held them as slaves for 400 years. So how would you feel about Egyptians? And then when God set them free through the Passover, putting the blood of the lamb over the door, Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. They're set free. They go into the wilderness to the promised land. 
And what, ha- what takes place? There's more Gentiles trying to wipe them out. You've got the Canaanites, you've got the Hittites, you've got the Prezavites, you've got, you got ants that probably bite too. They wanted to destroy them. And then they finally get to the promised land and through their disobedience, what happens? The Babylonians take them off into captivity into Babylon. And then they finally get back to the promised land. And what happens? The Romans are occupying Israel. So how would you feel about people who've tried to enslave you, destroy you, and oppress you. No wonder Jesus said this, but I tell you, love your enemies. You wonder, you really want to know if you're growing in your faith? It's not how loud you sing worship songs, though that's fine. It's not how much you give in your tithes and offerings, though that's great. If you really want to know if you're growing in your faith, how do you love your enemies? That's still in the Bible, right, Matthew? Oh, I heard that. I heard that. I'm black. Y'all can interact. And black people, let's help the white people. You can, yeah, there we, there we, we good. We're good now. Okay, so Matthew 5, 44 and 45 is still in the Bible. But I say, love your enemies. You really want to know if you're growing? You are loving those who are deemed as unlovable. And by the way, there's never been a person ever created that Jesus did not love and that Jesus is not viewed as redeemable. And so we want to look at people through those lenses. So like, who is my neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. By the way, you will never treat anybody above the label you give them. You will never treat a person above the label you give them. Why would Jesus say, but love your neighbor as yourself? He didn't say, love Gentiles, love Jews, love barbarians, love Scythians, love this. No, every single human being is your neighbor. And notice, there's no qualifications. There's like no wiggle room like, yeah, but, yeah, but. (laughs) Being a merciful person means that you cross ethnic, cultural, and religious barriers to help hurting people. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 says this. Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. According to the first century historian Josephus, from Jerusalem to Jericho was a 3,000 feet descent that was 17 miles of winding road down in elevation. And it was known as the Bloody Way because that was a place where robbers and bandits could hide and you can get jacked, you could get robbed, you could get assaulted. So his audience would have been very familiar with the bloody way. Look what happens to to this man. And by the way, this man is a Jewish man because Jesus did not identify him as a non-Jew. It says they stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. So the Jewish audience would have been like, yes, a priest, a Jewish priest. Oh, yeah, this is going to be great. 
When he saw him, he, he passed on the other side in the same way. A Levite, when he arrived at the place, saw him and passed by the other side. So basically, uh, the priest was the lead pastor. The Levite was the worship leader. They were in Jerusalem, so they were practicing sacrifices and doing the things that they do. For the Jewish people, the temple was where heaven and earth would meet. And so they were worshiping, they were giving, they were singing, and then they leave and they find themselves walking down the road. Oh man, Yahweh is great. God is great. Oh, there's somebody dead and dying. Okay, yeah, God is great. God. The way we show that we love God is by loving people. Singing songs is easy. Loving people's hard. Doing a Bible study is fairly easy. Loving people's hard. Especially people who don't think like you, act like you, look like you. As a matter of fact, I read there in that scripture where Jesus said, love your neighbor only if they look like you, think like you, act like you, dress like you. No, no, he said, love your neighbor. And here's the good thing. <laughs> when you learn to love cross-culturally, cross-barriers, guess who grows as a person? You do. That's why Jesus says to love your enemies because your heart was not built to contain hate and stereotypes. Jesus is trying to set you free. He's trying to set me free. And so you have the religious leaders who praised God and did sacrifices and walked right past a person in need. Never forget this. You and I are growing in love when other people's problems become our pain. I'm going to park here just for a minute. Let me put it in park. You and I are growing as followers of Jesus when other people's problems become our pain. Jesus did not have any sin whatsoever but he saw our problem, which is our sin, as his pain. And what did he do? He went to the cross. Love is shaped like a cross. Love says injustice anywhere means injustice everywhere. And because everybody's my neighbor, if there's a hurt, I actually may be the healing Verse 33, y'all, but, oh my goodness, whenever you see but in the Bible, something big is about to happen, and God loves big butts, and he cannot lie. <laughs> Satan may try to deny. When you see but in the Bible, something big is about to happen. Watch this, but... A Samaritan on his journey, time out. You know what the Jewish people would have done? They would have stood up and began to hiss at Jesus. In the ancient world, when an orator was speaking, it was back and forth and jumping around and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they would have been going at Jesus like, a Samaritan, what do you mean? Well, what's the problem? Here's the problem. In 722 B.C., there were some Assyrians who captured some Jewish people in war, took them out of Jerusalem. They began to marry pagans, and they became this group of people called the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. And religiously, they put their own temple in Gerashim. The Jews had their temple in Jerusalem. So there was ethnic barriers, cultural barriers, 
for 700 years. Here's a question. How long are we going to let barriers strip us of our humanity? Jesus already said, when you love your enemy, you become more human. How long are we going to stay inhumane towards each other? But a Samaritan, and look what the Samaritan does. And when he saw the man, notice what it doesn't say. And when he saw the Jew, what label do you put on people when you see them? Because whatever label you put on those people, that's how you're going to treat them. Here's a Samaritan. The Jewish man was supposed to be his enemy, but you know what he saw? A human being made in the image and likeness of God. What we say at Transformation Church is this, treat everybody like Jesus died for them because he did. If Jesus thought people were worth enough to die for them, can't we see them the way he saw them? What barriers are we holding on to strip our humanity? Perhaps a lot of our unhappiness is found in our lack of mercy towards the other. He said, I, he saw the man, and then the scripture says this, and when he saw him, he had compassion Compassion. Teenagers, the, the, the word compassion is two words sandwiched together, and it means this, to suffer with. He saw the man who was supposed to be his enemy, a different religious perspective, a different ethnic perspective, a different cultural perspective, 700 years of prejudice and animosity, and he said, I'm going to Kick it down because there's a human being in need. What walls are you kicking down? What, what walls are you kicking down? Can I give you a loving warning? Please kick them down before God forces you to. He loves you too much to let you stay in arrested development. Hebrews 2.9 says this, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone. That's called the incarnation to put on flesh. That's what we're going to celebrate for Christmas is that God the Son put on human flesh to do what? To taste death with everyone crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. See all people as lovable and redeemable. Don't give people a label. They're your neighbor made in the image of God, period. Besides, have you ever heard of someone coming to believe what you believe by being nasty? I just want to thank the Lord. They were so rude. It was great. I was like, I've got to come to Jesus because they were jerkosauruses. It's awesome. Being merciful means this, that, that you're willing to count the cost of loving your neighbor. Luke 10, 34, teenager says this of the Samaritan. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds. Bandages cost money. 
pouring on olive oil and wine. Olive oil and wine cost money. The olive oil keeps the wound soft. The wine is a disinfectant because of the alcohol. Then he put him on his own animal. His animal cost money. And then he brought him to an inn. That cost money. And took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. Two denarii is 14 days worth of wages. Gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Wow, he, he counted the cost. When Jesus went to the cross, love was expensive. He paid in blood. When you and I follow in the way of Christ, loving the other is expensive. We pay in blood. But here's something, and I think I'm on good theological grounds by saying this. It's not only was there a financial cost that he paid. Can you imagine when he got back to Samaria and his family and friends say, hey, how was your trip to Jerusalem? Oh, it was great. Man, did you make it through the bloody way? A, a bloody way? Did, did you see robbers? No, man, I, 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 didn't, I didn't get robbed, but I saw a guy who was in bad shape. He was a Jewish guy. Wait, what? He was what? You did what for a Jew? Wait, wait, you put bandages on him? You, 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 you put olive oil on him? You, you, you put wine on him? You paid 14 days of wages for an enemy? They hate us. I don't know what he would have said, but based on his actions, he probably might have said, maybe if we love them, that'll break the cycle of hate. Maybe that'll break the cycle of violence. Can you imagine? Verse 36 says, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The religious scholar says, the one who showed mercy to him, he said. <laughs> I love what Jesus says here. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. At Transformation Church, at the end of a message, I give our church what's called a soul tattoo, and it's my honor and privilege to give the Seacoast family the soul tattoo as well. Who is your neighbor that you're not supposed to love? What barrier in your heart to loving another human being have we allowed dark forces of evil to place there because it strips us of our humanity. You know what's sad is that in this story, we look at the Jewish man who was bloodied and beaten, but you know who's actually in a worse condition? The priest and the Levite who walked by. Their humanity had been so stripped and they missed the opportunity to love. Church, don't miss this. They were the religious. They led worship songs. The priest led sacrifice. He read the scriptures. And he walked right on by. Soul tattoo, who is that neighbor you're not supposed to love? Go in the mercy of Jesus and love your neighbor. Now, I would be like the worst preacher in the history of humanity if I didn't tell you the truest 
of the true part of this story. The truest of the true part of this story is this. You and I are the man traveling from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, and the devil has beat us, stripped us of our humanity, stripped us of our dignity. We, we are laying on the side of the road. Some of you, you're, you're working hard. You're not happy. You got everything you were told you were supposed to be happy, and you're not. Your heart is broken. It's fractured. It's frustrated. You are on the side of the road. And you know who the Samaritan is in this story? It's Jesus. He was the one that they were not expecting. Jesus showed up. And here's the thing. As you and I are on the side of the road, would you stop moving He's not just going to jump on you. Would you, would, you, would you stop moving and stop trying to bandage yourself? You can't fix yourself. I can't fix myself. I can't heal myself. There's only one who didn't come from Jerusalem. If I was a really good preacher, I would say something like this. The king of kings does not hail from Jerusalem. He does not hail from this realm. He lives in an age where there is no time. He is infinite. And all the angels do is say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he stepped into time and space. He saw your pain because he wanted you to gain his grace. And he saw you on the side of the road. He saw you bleeding and he had compassion. And what did he do? He got a bandage called the cross. What did he do? He got some oil called the Holy Ghost. What did he do? He said, I'm not going to put you in an inn. Let me tell you about my daddy's house. It got many rooms. And one day, I'm coming back. He's coming back. And until he gets back, may we be found loving our neighbor. How about that? How about that? Can I share something with y'all? Okay, we got a little time. So, I'm black, and that 25 minutes is nowhere near enough, so I'm gonna keep on going. Is that, is that right? Can I? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna keep on going. So, we have a church in Indian Land, South Carolina. I'm from the west side of San Antonio, Texas. I'm from the hood. I grew up with black people and Mexicans. We did have one white guy, his name was Golden Boy, he had blonde hair. <laughs> End up going to Brigham Young University, which is very diverse. It's all white. <laughs> so get saved, end up planning a church in Indian land, South Carolina. And I was like, Lord, how in the world me am I going to connect with people that like NASCAR? Gotta help the white people. Well, but here's the thing though. You, you ready? They helped me. They pulled stuff out of me that I didn't even know that was there. They pulled stuff out of me that I didn't even know was there, and they taught me to love in ways that I could never, ever love. When a little old white lady grabs their black pastor's hand and says, I'm so honored that you're my pastor. I love you so much. They taught me how to love. They taught me to love the other in ways that I could never, ever, ever understand. That's what God does when we see everybody as our neighbor who's lovable and redeemable, we begin to change. We become the change that we want to see 
in the world. Family, will you pray with me? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, in this moment, in all of our campuses, would you teach us to see people the way King Jesus sees people as lovable and redeemable, that everyone is our neighbor. May we be merciful because we've drank from the well of mercy. Remove our roadblocks, remove our barriers. May we love our enemies so much they become friends. We can't do this ourselves, only you can do it, Spirit of God. Right now in this moment, I believe that our campuses, that there are people watching online saying, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to walk into the kingdom of Jesus. I'm ready to have my sins forgiven. I'm ready to have his mercy. I'm ready to be made new. I'm tired of trying to bandage myself and put oil on myself and heal myself. I can't do it. Only Jesus can heal me and forgive me and make me new. If that's you, right where you are right now, I want you to say this to him. Lord Jesus, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that upon that bloody rugged cross, you looked into my eyes and you said, I'm taking your place to give you grace to create space in my family. I receive your blood bath that forever forgives me and makes me new. I receive your mercy. And I believe that on the third day when you rose again, I rose out of that tomb with you to become a new creation in Christ. I have a new family. I have a new heart. And teach me to follow you all of my days. In the matchless name of King Jesus and God's people said, amen, amen, and amen.